Hello and welcome back to Baywatch Watch. I'm Charlie. And I'm Zach. And we're back. We're so excited for our guest today. Yes. He is the co-creator of Baywatch and also the director of so many Baywatch episodes, including the ones we're talking about today. Uh, please welcome to the show, Doug Schwartz. Hey, Charlie. Hi, Zach. How are you guys today? Great, Doug. Yeah, thank you for yeah, being here. Great. Thanks so much I, I for being here. I love your uh, drum intro into your. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Inspired by the theme from Inspired Baywatch. Inspired by the uh, theme. Yeah. It's got that thumping, you know, yeah, it's Going such a cool the theme. World. I know that thumping beat. I get it. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, it's one of the most well-known theme songs. And we were in so many, uh, you know, top 10, top 20 uh, television theme songs. We've been on so many of those lists uh, iconically because people hear that song. They immediately know it's from Baywatch. Oh, yeah. It's that opening drum beat that comes into it. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Uh, It's certainly one in like uh it it takes me right back to my childhood watching uh watching Baywatch at home uh and then yeah. hearing it again as an adult when we undertook this project to watch all of Baywatch again it was just like it's you one guys, of those that is just burned in your brain yes well, you guys were uh, watching it back in the 90s I assume were you kids then yep yeah, yeah. so uh, when Baywatch first aired so 89 your NBC season I would have been three uh yeah and then and then uh when around the time of the episode that we're watching right now i would have been uh nine or ten i was born in 1985 so okay uh yeah well you know we've we've lived such a a baywatch life we've been lucky to actually live the life of baywatch most people enjoy it by watching it on television and they're able to connect to it from just the experience of watching an episode but being on that set every day from dawn to dusk six days a week for 15 years doing episode after episode was the best job anybody could ever have and i I say that not just for myself and i directed 65 episodes of baywatch out of the 300 episodes that we wrote and produced Uh, so those 65 episodes were very special to me hawaiian uh, the hawaiian show that we're watching tonight um forbidden paradise uh was a show that was our very first two-hour movie that was released as a two-hour movie separate and apart from baywatch and i'll explain how we got to that in a second but the experience of baywatch is a lifestyle it's pop culture uh we met people from all over the world that were traveling just to come to los angeles and come to the beaches where baywatch is filmed to get a glimpse of the lifeguards so when we first started shooting the show in Malibu and Will Rogers Beach uh, in California, uh, we would have you know a few beachgoers that were you know going by just on the bike path or whatever. By the time we were in our tenth, eleventh season, we had gray uh, gray line buses coming down from Hollywood bringing tourists to the set, and on wow. certain days we'd have thousands of people. So we had to have police and security guards and uh those people were lined up we had to have barriers because there were so many people on the beach i could as a director barely film so <laughs> one of the reasons that we moved to australia to uh, hawaii for baywatch hawaii and it started with forbidden paradise as our first wine show was to get new storylines and also get out of la so we weren't so besieged by people from all over the world it was harder to get to us and less well known that baywatch was filming there 
So sure. there's a lot of stories and a lot of experiences of Baywatch, but I'm so lucky to have been a part of it and then be a creator and a producer and a showrunner. Um, and my partner, Michael Burke, I know has done your podcast before. And Michael and I are first cousins. Our mothers were sisters. So we're actually blood related in addition to being writing and producing partners and created Baywatch together. And then my other partner is my brother-in-law, Greg, my wife's brother, who is the lifeguard. And uh, Michael, Greg, and I are the three creative executive producers of the show. So it's literally all in the family. My partners are my cousin and my brother-in-law. Go figure. And my wife, who yeah. my wife wrote 45 episodes of the show as well. Her name is Debbie, and she wrote the episode we're going to talk about tonight. So Fantastic. Cool. Yeah, so I, I guess we'll just say we're talking about season six, episodes 19 and 20, Forbidden, Forbidden Paradise, parts one and two. Uh, but as you said, this was actually shot uh, and aired prior to the start of the season. Um, and there was a six-month delay between you being able to air it on television, right? It was a six-month delay. Right, exclusive. actually, I, I uh, checked that, and it's a one-year delay. Oh, okay. Because they paid a million dollars to keep this particular two two part episode off the air for a year. So we shot it in November of 1994 and it didn't air until November of 1995. So it aired as a two part part one and part two, but as a movie live entertainment uh basically took it out as a the very first movie that was shot as a Baywatch movie starring David Hasselhoff and Pamela Anderson had to be in it. David Hasselhoff had to be in it. And that, that was key to them so they could promote the show, uh, the movie, as their first feature film. And Live Entertainment paid us another million dollars as an advance to secure the DVD rights for the release of it. So we shot it in November, December. It came out in, I think, February of 95 as a standalone movie. And then they had from February of 95 all the way till November of 95 without it ever appearing anywhere else on television. And by the way, it became Live Entertainment's number one DVD release for that year. And we sold over 600,000 units in the first year. Wow. And that was above and beyond. And then we realized that we could do that and yeah. we could make more revenue. And then we would take the revenue that we made off the movie sale and apply it to the budget of the show. And if we had reserve, we would apply it to more two-hour movies after that. And we ended up doing eight of them. Oh, That's wow. Awesome. Okay. Very cool. Um, this actually, it actually, uh, the the timeline of this actually explains, Zach, I don't know if you noticed this, but there was a couple of things canonically that uh, we had information that we had learned that we weren't privy to, but this epi right. this episode explains it. One of them being... Um, that Logan and Caroline were engaged for a time. There is an episode mm -hmm. earlier in season six in which Caroline returns his engagement ring, but it makes right. sense because you shot this before the season that that information uh, would come out, you know, right. a little bit out of order. And then also that Matt Brody is still here yeah, and Matt Brody right. is no longer a cast member. But yeah, that makes a lot exactly. of sense. Yeah, there were yeah. certain things like that, that because of the one year delay, uh didn't work the audience may or may not have even picked that up you guys right. have studied it so <laughs> obviously you're clued in but um we had to adjust certain things but what we ultimately the reason that we went forward with forbidden paradise and that was uh one hell of a year 
because we started the year with a, a different television series called Thunder in Paradise with Hulk Hogan. Mm -hmm. so we shot that in Orlando at Disney World, uh, the first series ever to shoot a scripted series out of Disney World. And we shot 22 episodes between January and June of 94. Then we came running back to Los Angeles and started this season, season six of Baywatch in July, a few weeks later, and then shot 22 more Baywatches. So we did 22 Thunder in Paradise episodes, came back to LA, shot 22 more uh, Baywatch episodes, excuse me, Thunder in Paradise episodes and then Baywatch episodes, and then went to Hawaii and shot uh, Forbidden Paradise. Wow. So the most exhausting year of yeah. shooting 44 episodes and a movie between January and December of that year. Now, were you like, also shooting Baywatch Nights at this time? Because these seasons are airing. Baywatch Nights in 95, in the spring of 95. Okay. Started that show. And then we did 22 Baywatch Nights and 22 more Baywatches. So wow. we just kept on going. We were shooting an average. Uh, we were very prolific of, of 44 episodes a year. We did them all in 35 millimeter. So they had really good production value. Uh, in, equivalent to a theatrical feature film. That's why we shot 35 millimeter when other producers were using digital uh, and 16 millimeter to save costs. We wanted it to be as beautiful as possible. And we also shot in widescreen. So if anyone ever released it as a theatrical feature, uh, we would always be in widescreen, which in fact, all the episodes uh, that are now Baywatch Remastered are all in widescreen, including the beautifully enhanced color in the HD uh, 4K. They look amazing, yeah. Yeah, they, absolutely. They really do look amazing. It's the most beautiful show uh, streaming, and we're now in our fifth year streaming. And we're on five streaming networks domestically and 125 uh, territories around the world. And wow. all of those networks started in 19, uh, excuse me, uh, 2018. And we're still on the air in 2023 and going into 24. So we're very successfully now launching Baywatch as a reboot of the of the series for the Fox Network, uh, which will be 13 new episodes. We're recreating the show, new characters, new cast members, and uh, it will be an LA-based show. Uh, we're just working on the pilot right now, but because we're in the middle of a writer's strike, we can't actually write or do anything. Right, right. yeah. But that is great news overall. Uh, can't wait. So we're very excited. Absolutely. Yeah. Our 35th year, we're starting all over again from scratch. So cool. Yeah. So cool. That's awesome. Um, by the way, do you know if it is streaming in Japan by chance? Because I'm doing a trip to is. Japan next month. Oh, great. We're, we're, we're even streaming in China. Oh, awesome. So, as a matter of fact, we were the first American hit series in China, uh, which accounted for a big portion of the 1.2 billion people uh you know that we have the guinness world book of records right and that record is baywatch is the most watched show in the history of television uh the audience was 1.2 billion people watching baywatch weekly in 158 countries and 42 different languages on every uh, continent on earth including antarctica most people don't know that we still have that guinness record one of the reasons is because that 1.2 billion people Half of it was from China. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, the first American hit, and that was the largest audience ever in China for an American television series. Awesome. That's Amazing. so cool. And I love that you were in Antarctica, too. 
That means yeah. there was probably like a, a team of a research or something, station. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was like, we're checking, <laughs> tune in every week. Yeah. So, you know, this show is a tremendous amount of work. People don't realize how hard it is working with water. Right. Uh, we work uh, water in the ocean, we work underwater, but we had our own studio. We built our own underwater tank. So, when you see people swimming underwater or you see people trapped in a cave, like in this episode, there's a character named Carlton who right. falls off a cliff and gets swept into a cave. That cave is in a in a in a parking lot uh, right behind wow. the Depot in Marina del Rey. <laughs> wow! And wow! We would, build, we would build sets in the tank and then put water in, and then so you'd shoot it like an interior of a cave in the water. And we'd every then we'd have an episode where let's say a car goes off a cliff and submerges underwater. So we'd shoot the car going off the cliff in Malibu, second unit. And then once it's in underwater, we're now back in our tank with the car sinking to the to the bottom of the ocean. Or if a plane crashes in the ocean, sinks underwater, it sinks, and now we're in our tank doing the water work. So water work for Baywatch was on the beach in the ocean, under ocean, and also in our tank and underwater in our tank. So wow. Cool. You, you know, you fooled me on the um, cave as well. I thought that was yeah. actually a cave that you shot in. Um, yeah. Like sometimes, yeah, sometimes when you guys do underwater, uh, I know it's not an actual, you're doing it in a tank and it's not Southern California water just because you can't see that clearly in the ocean right. here in general. That's a, but, big, that's a big part of it. it. The water in California is not that clean. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah unfortunately. Underwater sequences is murky. Yeah, and it's not appealing. Um, so we would go offshore and shoot in Catalina if we did any water okay. work in Los Angeles. And if you watch Baywatch Hawaii, it's the most beautiful of all the episodes because of the right. clarity of the water, which yeah. is also 80 degrees, so it was easy to work there. But we even built a tank in Hawaii as well. Oh, cool. Wow. Here, and we had a tank in Hawaii. Uh, we shot at Diamond Head Studios in Hawaii, and we took one of the sound stages and took out the floor and put a tank in the floor so it was in a sound stage but in a, in a the whole sound stage was nothing but a gigantic tank twice the size of the tank we built in la so we could put a part of a 747 in that tank and have a plane crash that is flooding the chamber of a 747 yeah uh, and and do it in our own tank and they were able to control it that way we're also so able cool. to keep the water warm uh, so instead of being, you know, 55, 60 degrees off the coast of California and murky, it's in our tank and it's, you know, a very comfortable 75, 80 degrees and clear as a bell because we would filter it constantly. So these are all the things. And we learned how to do this by doing the show. And we figured it out step by step because it was just the three of us, just Michael and Greg and I. We didn't have a studio supporting us. Right. We didn't have a network supporting us because we were in first run syndication. So we became a, a, a group of producers that had their own studio that we built in Marina Del Rey with the water tank, with our own sound stages and created a, an ability to make the show on our own terms because we had no one to answer to. And one of the reasons that I was able to direct Forbidden Paradise and direct the other 65 episodes of the show is I'm legally blind. I walk with a white cane. So your typical field of vision for your listeners is typically 160 degrees side to side peripherally. And I have a two degree field. So I see like a camera sees just this much in front of me. So as a director, I would be able to direct because it would be like looking through a camera lens. 
even though I didn't see anything mm -hmm. peripherally. And so uh, directing episodes of Baywatch became very challenging. Uh, and I'm very proud of the fact that I was able to direct episodes in spite of the fact that I was legally blind. Yeah, it's I'm the only blind member of the Directors Guild of America that was able to, to do that. I do motivational speaking to help other people overcome their own obstacles and disabilities and handicaps in life, whether it be from blindness or deafness or wheelchairs or other people that are in different situations. Uh, and one of the reasons that Baywatch has so many uplifting episodes and inspirational episodes is for that very reason, to touch people that watch the show, to inspire them to overcome their own obstacles in life. That's awesome. Phenomenal. Yeah, um, absolutely amazing. Yeah, I I actually have mentioned this on the podcast before, but my um, fiance's writing partner um, is also legally blind, and he has Stargard's macular degeneration. So his is the opposite, in which he can only see from his peripherals and has nothing in the center. Um, yeah. And you know has is has been writing for television for quite a while as a very accomplished uh, you know writer uh, uh, and uh, person in, you know in the industry, and I think. It's incredible, um, you know, the advocacy that you do uh, to try to to teach people to continue to follow their dreams. Well, and it's it is really important, not just for me, but the people on set around me, because the actors knew that I was blind and they would help me when I needed help. Doug, I'm over here, you know, over yeah. here, because I'd be looking where, where are they? And or the crew members that would say, be careful of the dolly track or the lights or the cables, because everything's moving on a set all the time. So you've got lights, cables, grip stands, uh, Chapman cranes, actors moving around, set pieces moving around, and I'm blind walking around with a white cane trying to find my next angle. But uh, every episode of Baywatch was done deficit-free. All the episodes that I directed were deficit-free, meaning no overages. And given the tight schedule, given the difficulties of working on the beach and water work and tourists by the thousands packed in to watch us, being legally blind, all those things were challenging. So I'm proud that we're able to accomplish it, you know, one show after another. And we would shoot an episode a week, basically. Wow. And because we had such a tight budget, we couldn't afford to shoot more than a week. So we came up with the idea of shooting a full-time second unit while we were shooting a full-time first unit. And the difference between first unit and second unit for your audience members that don't know, is the first unit is the primary unit where the actors are doing their dialogue. So it's a scene between, you know, Caroline and Logan, and you're directing the dialogue in the scene, whatever the scene may be. The second unit may be shooting them running with stunt doubles or the actual actors, it can be either one, running from their towers, grabbing their can, running into the ocean, swimming out into the ocean, diving down, coming up with a victim, bringing them back in, putting them on show on the, on the sand and starting CPR. And then the first unit would take over and shoot the CPR scene in the recovery. So we would do it like a ballet. So I would direct, okay, and action, lifeguards running out of their tower, they grab their cans and cut. Second unit would then come in, take those actors and they go out into the ocean to do their work. I would move on to the next scene. So we, by doing that and doing it constantly, a first, a full first unit and a full second unit, very large crew. Um, we did it like a ballet and we were incredibly successful for 15 years shooting it like that. As a matter of fact, nobody had ever done it like that before us. 
and we had studios coming down to figure out how we were doing this massive show with helicopters and boats and water work and underwater work and tank work. You know, we're not law and order. We're just talking heads. Right. We're, we're this big action adventure underwater show doing a show for 830000 an episode. And they're doing uh, shows like uh, ER or shows like uh, Law and Order for $3 million a show without any action or adventure. And they couldn't figure out how we were doing this for so little in 35 millimeter with IA uh, union crews and actors and large scale production. So they would get studios to come visit us. And here we are, these three guys, you know, (laughs) Michael and I running the studio. And we had Warner Brothers and Paramount and Sony, MGM and Universal all coming to figure out how we were doing this. And they couldn't do it. Wow. So we were very proud of that too. A very independent. That's awesome. Well, should we just jump into this uh, episode? Let's jump into Forbidden Paradise. Yeah. And one of the motivators, uh, my wife saw a television commercial. uh, Again, uh, my wife, her name is Debbie, and she was one of our primary writers on the show. She ended up writing 45 episodes of Baywatch, including this first of our two-hour movies, Forbidden Paradise. And she came up with the idea because she watched uh, a Hawaiian Airlines commercial coming to Hawaii, and it looked beautiful. And she said to me, honey, we should do a Baywatch episode in Hawaii. I said, we can't afford to go to Hawaii. You know, it's just too expensive. We can barely afford to do the shows in LA, let alone take 250 people to Hawaii, cast crew and everybody else, the support staff to go with them. And, uh, oh, come on, come on, there's got to be a way. Baywatch in Hawaii is such a natural thing. Yeah. So I started thinking about it, and I, I knew that we had to figure out how much the budget would be for a, a Forbidden Paradise. And our typical episode, as I said, was 830000 per hour per episode. So two episodes back-to-back, as the same as two-hour movie, uh, would be, in essence, about $2 million, 600000 uh, 80,000 per episode uh, t- for two episodes. Right. What we could never afford um, for a million six, we could do two single episodes in LA, but those same two episodes in Hawaii would be $4 million, more than twice as much money. Right. So wow. I had to find as a producer, uh, people always ask, well, what do you do as a producer? You do everything as a producer, including finding ways to make a show like Baywatch affordable. So in order to offset those costs, the first deal that I made was with Hawaiian Airlines, which their commercials, I told them that we got came up with the idea of Baywatch in Hawaii because of watching their commercial. They got all excited because we had a billion viewers. So we're a two-hour Baywatch advertisement for Hawaiian Airlines. Right. How much would they give us for that? Well, they'll transport all 250 people first class from LA to Hawaii and back again for free plus an additional uh, $250,000 in cash to get a, a Hawaiian Airlines in this episode. So we started with that. Then we had to house people in Hawaii. So we came up with the idea of Turtle Bay, which is on the North Shore of Hawaii, beautiful resort. It's a surfer's resort because they get 20, 25 foot waves out on the North Shore at Turtle Bay. So we made a deal to house everybody at Turtle Bay and film the entire Forbidden Paradise at Turtle Bay and uh, give them uh, promotional consideration where we talk about Turtle Bay as this beautiful resort and they're getting that promotion. Comped all of those 250 rooms, comped everyone for the weeks and weeks that were there for prep and weeks of filming, 
And then uh, we got another 250000 on top of that from them. Then we sold the rights for the DVD release because I realized if we shot it in advance for the next season, what would a company pay us to distribute it as a Baywatch movie above and separate from their uh, television episode? And live entertainment paid us a million dollars. So now I had 250000 from Wine Airlines, 250000 from Turtle Bay, a million dollars from um, live entertainment. So now I had one and a half million close to that $2 million extra money that I needed to shoot this two-hour movie in Hawaii. And we had to know this was all possible before we wrote the script. So we came up with some of our advertisers like Mentos. Yeah. And when you watch the episode, you'll hear references of Mentos. Uh, <laughs> we had to give them uh, three uh, three plugs in the show to qualify for some cash advance for them. And Coca-Cola wanted to be mentioned and have Coca-Cola in the cast members' hands like Pamela Anderson drinking Coca-Cola on screen. Mm -hmm. So that filled in the other half million dollars. Now we had $4 million to go make a movie. So, okay, honey, you got your wish. Go write your Baywatch movie. And then she came up with the stories and she came up with uh, the episode that we're going to talk about now. And then we knew we could afford to do it without going over because I've covered all the costs. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And that's uh, what a and that's what a producer does because everyone always says, yeah. "What does a producer do?" Uh, besides oversee writing of the scripts and oversee casting and oversee uh, financing and distribution and oversee all production and post production and editing and music and everything else that goes with it. You have to finance the shows and figure out ways to afford it. So producing is a huge job and a huge responsibility. The most fun I have is as a director. Because then I get to work with the actors and work with the script and I get to do what I do. And that's the most fun that I could possibly have. And uh, my writing partner, Michael, is also a wonderful writer. Mm -hmm. So he and Debbie wrote most of the scripts. Michael actually either wrote or rewrote every single Baywatch episode of all 300 episodes. And so um, and we've been together 60, 62 years working, writing and producing together uh, since we were teenagers. But I won't go into that story. Wow. So, That's awesome. so, yeah. so when we opened, we decided that the storyline should be lifeguards are working their butts off in L.A. rescuing people. <laughs> work, work, work. You know, rescue, 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 rescue. They're exhausted. They can't deal with another rescue. In a beautiful L.A., Southern California for the tourists and for the beachgoers. But for the lifeguards, they're working themselves ragged. And yeah. in reality, lifeguards do. They work hard. It's not just getting a tan in the sun and picking up chicks on the beach. They are doing rescues and rescues and saving lives. They're American heroes. So these people are desperate for a vacation. And in walks Mitch, uh, David Hasselhoff, Mitch Buchanan, to say he's gotten the approval from the county that uh, the lifeguard exchange program, they're, all 10 of them are going to get to fly over to Hawaii on Hawaiian Airlines. He had to say that. He did. And they opened his name. Um, to go to uh, exchange lifeguarding ideas with the Hawaiian lifeguards. So they learn from the LA lifeguards and the LA lifeguards learn from the Hawaiian lifeguards. It's a, an exchange program. And that became the underlying reason that they go and the underlying main storyline of why they're in Hawaii. So once we're in Hawaii, then other, uh, other storylines started to be set up. Right. Uh, so when we first arrive in Hawaii, uh, we meet the Hawaiian contingent of lifeguards. And <clears throat> those were real Hawaiian lifeguards. And we had 
real 20 and 25 foot surf. And we wanted, since we were in the surf, to have a big surfing story. Well, how do we have a, a good surfing story in Forbidden Paradise? And since we had 20 and 25 foot waves, Logan, who's a surfer, uh, Jason Simmons plays Logan, is in a relationship with Caroline. And their relationship is on the rocks. But in Hawaii, it'll hopefully ignite some romance. When they get to Hawaii, they're expecting to have these romantic nights. And that's all Caroline wants is to have Logan finally to herself and not have to deal with lifeguarding all day. But all Logan wants was to surf and get to be in the Jerry Lopez surfing competition, which is a real competition on the North Shore. And his dream is to be a surfer in one of these big Hawaiian competitions, big wave competitions. So they have a difference of opinion. One, Caroline wants romance and Logan wants to surf. And they figure out a way to do both. And that becomes their storyline. Almost breaks them up because when we were in Hawaii, uh, my good friend Ron Rice. So that's where another bucket of money came from. Mm -hmm. uh, Ron Rice is the owner founder of Hawaiian Tropics. The oh, okay. Hawaiian Tropics. So Hawaiian Tropics is the number one selling uh, suntan lotion. It outsells Copper Tone and CNC was Hawaiian Tropics. But what better than to promote Hawaiian Tropics on Baywatch Ribbon Paradise? So I called up Ron Rice and I said, look, we're going to be in Hawaii shooting an episode of Baywatch. Do you want to bring over your, your Hawaiian Tropic girls and I'll write a sequence for you and we'll promote Hawaiian Tropics. So he brings over 25 of the most beautiful girls you've ever seen. And here we are in Hawaii, not needing more beauty because we have our own contingent of Baywatch babes, uh, Pamela Anderson and, and uh, Alexander Paul and Yasmin Bleeth and Jean Lee Nolan and some of those beautiful women in the world. But in come 25 of Ron Rice and his Hawaiian Tropic girls. And we did that by giving him a storyline that Jason is going to be the new hot surfer of the year for Hawaiian Tropics. And we did that music montage with all the girls. So the girls right. were excited. Ron Rice and Hawaiian Tropics were excited because they got the promotional value. We got extra financing, extra money to put into the show because of that. And then we had the, the beauty of the, the montage itself against the sunset and the surf. And it helped the storyline between Caroline, who got jealous, excuse me, right. get jealous of all the girls and all the attention that Logan's getting from all the Hawaiian Tropic girls and uh, competitive with her trying to get Logan's attention for herself. Yeah. Is that, by the way, is that Ron Rice, the guy that comes up to Logan and says, uh, I right. want to put you in my calendar? Okay, yeah. That's that's Ron Rice. And he nice. was a good friend because uh, Ron Rice, we had done work with Hawaiian Tropics before this. As a matter of fact, we promoted Hawaiian Tropics throughout Baywatch uh, for all 300 episodes. So yeah. you'll see uh, references to Hawaiian Tropics throughout everything. And then we also had a lot of the girls that were in the Hawaiian Tropic pageants. Uh, Hawaiian Tropic was famous for having beauty pageants all over the country. And they'd have a, a national final in Las Vegas, and they'd have national finals in Hawaii. So the national finals in Hawaii that year were during our shooting of Baywatch Forbidden Paradise because of this film being done. Oh, okay. So that lined up perfectly then. Wow. So it was a perfect synergy. And then when I pitched Ron, you know, I said, look, I think you're coming over for the wine tropic pageant. So I know you're, you'll have a hundred plus girls coming over. Let's take the best 25 and put them in the show. Awesome. So anyway, it all, these things all work themselves out and then to the benefit of the show. 
Yeah. yeah. Very cool. So we've we've talked about a couple of those storylines. Another storyline is uh, Carlton and Holly. Um, Carlton is the photographer. Carlton yeah. and Holly. Uh, uh, Holly, uh, I can't think of the actress's name. Maybe you can because you did your research. Uh, but she was one of the stars of our Thunder in Paradise series with Volvo. Okay. And so when we came back from shooting our 22 episodes of Thunder in Paradise in Florida, uh, we wanted to give her a guest starring role. So I, I wrote this part for her to be in this episode as Holly. Heidi Mark is her name. Heidi Mark, thank you so much. And she did other Baywatch episodes as well, but she was a regular on uh, Thunder in Paradise. I oh, did cool. 22 episodes of that show before she did Baywatch. Um, and she was a Hawaiian chopper girl originally. And the way I met Ron Rice was by casting Heidi Marks, who introduced me to Ron Rice. Oh, wow. So, again, it all works out. There's a lot of synergy between these different right. aspects. So, um, Carlton, he's an actor that I, he's a stand up comic. Again, I can't remember his name, 30 years, sorry. Um, very funny stand up comic that I saw on Seinfeld. And, oh. uh, he was so funny on on Seinfeld. Ricky Dean a, Logan, yeah. Uh, he played a like a bad guy who was a little crazy. With yeah. The, oh yes. The back of a van, and he was so funny oh. and so good. Yes, Kramer goes to Hollywood. Yes. He's yes. The, yes. He was in that episode in the van. Anyway, okay. So I uh, I called up his agent and he came down and we talked about uh, doing an episode that he star in. And um, so he'd love, love to do it. Of course, he would want to do it. And the idea was that previously he had come to Hawaii on vacation and he had taken a sacred volcanic rock away from Hawaii and left the islands. And that's bad luck. You're not supposed to do that. And that was true. You're not supposed to take lava rock yeah. from yeah. the island that belongs to the volcanoes and the gods of Hawaii. And if you do, you are going to have bad luck for the rest of your life. So Carlton took that rock and left the island. Now he's coming back and he has to put the rock back in its place. You can't just put it down anywhere. You have to put it back where you got it. And where he got it was out in the ocean on this atoll. So Alexander Paul's character is Stephanie befriends Logan and ends up taking him out to put that rock back. But before that, Everything that could go wrong for Logan, for, um, uh, for Carlton. Carlton, Carlton. So when he, he's a he's a photographer, he's trying to take pictures around the pool at Turtle Bay, falls into the pool. He's trying to take pictures of Holly on a cliff, falls over the cliff into the ocean, <laughs> yeah. in a cave. So everything you can think of that could go wrong, we had him going wrong. So that was our comedy storyline, and then ultimately it was an action storyline because we wanted to also demonstrate how to use a wave runner in a rescue. That was really cool. Way to use. We've already shown it in the surf with surfers, but if you're in a cave and you have to power out through a 25 foot slamming surf, yeah, and you don't realize the, the power. I've been in that surf. Um, 20 foot of 20 feet of water coming at you yeah. is a big thing. It's it's power is amazing. So to power through that, you need a wave runner. He's trapped in that cave. He's going to die in there unless they get him out. So the Hawaiian lifeguards, you know, with Stephanie, get inside, get Logan, put him in there, and then power through that wave to get him out. So it was a way to do an underlying uh, wave runner, again, exchange of lifeguarding techniques. Hawaiian lifeguards using wave runners to help save and rescue someone 
at the same time doing the comedy storyline and giving us a good action sequence. And that cave that we showed was built in our water tank and uh, and shot uh, when we got back from Hawaii. We shot it in our Los Angeles studio tank um, here. So we did some additional work here after we got back from Hawaii. Wow. So another another storyline that we had is uh, the lifeguards were all leaving to go to Hawaii, but they needed somebody to come back to run lifeguard headquarters that weekend. Oh, yeah because Captain Thorpe was going to go away and they had to flip between is it going to be Alexander Paul Stephanie character or Pamela Anderson CJ character and it turns out that CJ reluctantly has to leave and she was looking forward to having romantic nights with Matt because we wanted the wine show to be super romantic and one of the commitments for live entertainment is it had to feature Alexander she had to feature uh, Pamela Anderson um substantially in the episode so but we knew pamela anderson had her own agenda because we were not in the baywatch season of 22 episodes and that was her contract she didn't have to do forbidden paradise um, and she had another agenda because she needed to be in mexico and we couldn't figure out why she wanted to be in mexico but she had to be there on a certain date <laughs> and our days conflicted with that so she i finally talked her into coming but she can only be there uh, for less than a week, five days, and she would give us three days of production. So a day to fly in, three days of shooting, and a day to fly out, because she had to go to Mexico uh, for some reason that we didn't know, and it was a big secret, and she couldn't tell us. So I shot all of Pamela's scenes in, that, in those three days, including her Dance of Desire, which uh, is something that we wanted to do for the trailer cut of the live entertainment movie release is Pamela Anderson in a sexy dance of desire that had to be something that they would promote and market in their trailer which they did and they were really happy that I did that and that was there just for live entertainment to promote and market the, the DVD release the reason she went to Mexico we found out and she left after doing a scene she had a white bikini yeah I don't know if you noticed but in the episode she's wearing a white bikini and it was a specialized white bikini for Pamela because of her proportions and because it looked so good on her. And so she had her own bikinis designed and made for her. So when she left for Mexico, the costumer said, oh, wait, she took the bikini. She's wearing the bikini. And so uh, Kevin Beggs, who was my assistant, uh, I told him to stop Pamela to get that bathing suit back, bikini back before she left. So I remember him running down the driveway from Turtle Bay, chasing Pamela's van, yelling, Pamela, Pamela, stop, wait, we need the bikini, we need the bikini. And she's not listening. I don't have the bikini, I don't have the bikini. I just don't have and leaving, just wanted to get out of there to get the airport yeah. back to LA. And so it turned out that a week later, we're reading in the newspapers and watching the videos on television of Pam Anderson marrying Tommy Lee in Mexico in a white bikini. <laughs> and she took our damn bikini to Mexico and she married Tommy Lee in that bikini. Never did turn it to us. Uh, so we had to make a, a new bikini with a double to fill in wherever we needed Pamela. We didn't have her. Um, so that was a, you know, a fun story to tell. That guy that ran down the driveway, Kevin Biggs, mm -hmm. the president and chairman of Lionsgate Television. Wow. He started as a PA runner bringing me my coffee in the mornings and things like that, just doing PA work on set as an intern and ended up as president chairman of a major 
Hollywood movie company. So uh, God bless Kevin Banks. That is amazing. And I'm glad he didn't give up in that moment. Like when he didn't get the bikini back, he didn't go, you know, I'm not cut out for this job. (laughs) And then another another storyline that's in um, Forbidden Paradise is when Hawaii uh, knew that we were coming over, the governor of Hawaii (laughs) called us and and uh, I had a, a really good conversation. He was very excited that Baywatch was coming over. He said, anything that I can do to, to help make your production easier, uh, I, I would love to do it. Just give me a personal call and I'll see what I can do. And uh, he said, you know, one of the locations that you should look at if you're on the North Shore is Waimea State Park. And he said, it has beautiful locations and I'll give you permission to shoot there. And we typically don't let people shoot in the Waimea State Park because it's open to tourists. And, you know, they typically don't have movie companies in there shooting the serene, beautiful place that they have at Waimea. So when I went there and I was looking at all these gorgeous locations, that's where we did the waterfall when David Chervey fills off the waterfall and David has yeah. after him. Yeah. Waimea State Park. Um, all the jungle scenes that you see and climbing over the the cliff faces and all of that was in Wyoming State Park. But when I was there, um, it didn't have a specific point. Uh, and Debbie went over to, uh, Debbie and I went over to uh, scout these locations before we wrote the script. And Debbie said, you know, there is this Hawaiian village. It says here on the tourist thing, there's this whole uh, exact replica of a Hawaiian village and villagers there. Let's go find that. So we went and we found that, and here is this this beautiful location. It was built like a set, but it was authentic to Hawaiian lore. And they had the huts, and they had the people, and they had the crafts being done, and tourists would come and see the Hawaiians that were living like Hawaiians lived before, you know, it, it was, you know, the the um, the world as it is today, the when it used to be in Hawaii, when it was serene, they didn't have electricity, didn't have phones, they were cut off from the world, this is Hawaii. What about a storyline where there's a young girl that is trying to get away from this tribe and it's an abusive guy that's trying to keep her there and won't let her go and she's trapped there. And David Charvet, when he and David, uh, Matt is David Charvet <laughs> and uh, David Hasselhoff, Mitch go off to go snorkeling on a remote island off the coast of Hawaii. They go to this uh, island where they're supposed to be the best snorkeling and the best diving and they dive in the in the ocean and then uh suddenly they come up and their their boat's gone but meanwhile david charvet has been bitten by a very very poisonous um uh, scorpion fish which are those beautiful they called lionfish and they're gorgeous they look like they have wings and sails on them and they're beautiful fish in the world but their bite is deadly and will kill a human being if you don't get it treated immediately. Well, they're in the middle of the ocean. They come up, their boat's gone. They can't leave. They have to go onto the island and try to find help. And they're in the middle of a jungle. Where do they go? So we use Wyoming State Park for all that jungle. Okay. We use Wyoming uh, Falls and he's getting sicker and sicker as he goes. Right. David Charvet's character is ends up falling off a waterfall. David Hasselhoff being the lifeguard that he is jumps off the waterfall into the into the uh, lake and grabs him and brings him up to shore. When they come up, there's native villagers all of a sudden, like out of primitive Hawaii, standing there with spears. You know, where did they come from? And I remember David says, when does the show start? Uh, <laughs> that they're actors, but in fact, they were villagers living off the land and being 
authentic Hawaiians. So that leads to where they meet the girl who is being held captive by Kona, who is the, the bad guy who's abusive. And Mitch has to save her, uh, again, being the lifeguard that he is. Lifeguarding is more than just lifeguarding in the ocean and grabbing somebody and throwing them in. It's getting involved in their lives and rescuing them in life. He is determined to rescue this young girl. Um, and, and he and David uh, Charvet are, he's saved from the poison of the lion fight by uh, this young girl who uses authentic Hawaiian potions to suck out the venom. So by saving his life, they're dedicated to now saving her life. And that leads to all the chasing through the jungle and the throwing of the spears. And all of a sudden you've got, you know, Mitch and, and Matt um, being almost hunted down and killed in the Hawaiian jungle. That became a big action story. It was a, a slight love story. It was authentic for Hawaii. And by the way, when it came time to shoot the two of them underwater, um, one of the ways I used the governor, I called him up. He said, I could ask you for anything. You'd help us. I want to shoot an underwater dive sequence with our second unit at your um, Hawaiian aquatic park. Uh, they had a, a Sea World kind of a park. Mm. They're on Greenland, and there was a gigantic tank, which is all Hawaiian fish. Ah, and okay. It had those. It had those uh, deadly fish in it. And so we took our second unit. He gave me permission. We we're the only people ever to film in the tank. Wow. So we put David Hasselhoff and Matt for real, not doubles, in the tank and shot with our second unit with all those beautiful fish. So we knew we'd get beautiful fish because we're all in the tank. Yeah. So we're going out in the ocean and finding fish, which are every, you know, here right. and there, but not concentrated. Exactly. And now we had them concentrated in this tank and we got that beautiful underwater sequence. And then the actual scorpion fish was a stock shot. Oh, okay. Uh, they couldn't swim with that fish because it was it really is that. <laughs> yeah. So that's how we got that sequence. And that's how that storyline came to be. Nice. Uh, I, w I was wondering what that, where you shot that. Yeah, specific scene. Yeah, it's cool. and, and we were used to tank work, and the governor was so helpful. Matter of fact, it was the the same uh, governor that helped us bring Baywatch to Hawaii uh, for the three years we shot Baywatch Hawaii as well. Oh, so amazing! Couldn't have been more helpful. And they were also putting up money from the Hawaiian government to bring Baywatch to Hawaii. And the reason for that side story is we were doing Baywatch Down Under in Australia. And we shot a two-hour Baywatch movie called Baywatch Down Under that you'll get to, uh, get to I think season fourteen or something. Or can't remember the season. <laughs> but again, it's a two-hour movie for the same reason. Um, we released it as a movie, and we couldn't afford it unless we did it as a movie first and right. do the pullback that uh, Forbidden Paradise taught us how to do. So we were going to take Baywatch and move it from Los Angeles because of all those tourists and the jammed up beaches that we could barely shoot in L.A. anymore and running out of stories and do Baywatch Down Under. And then the residents, so the deal had been approved by the government of Australia and we were going to do Baywatch Down Under. Wow. And then the residents of Australia on the day that the city commission uh, were to vote on Baywatch coming over because they were underwriting a lot of the costs. The, uh, the people of the towns of, of Bondi, uh, Australia, protested that they didn't want Baywatch filming on their beaches because they wanted their beaches for themselves. 
not with the film company shooting there every day. So the governor of Hawaii, this was on CNN. It was on a news broadcast. Okay. And so we were on uh, television on this news broadcast on CNN. And lo and behold, the governor of Hawaii sees it. And okay. he calls us up and says, look, I can see that the protesters in Australia don't want you there, but we really would love to have you in Hawaii. So on your way back from Australia, stop in Hawaii and let's see if we can put a deal together to bring Baywatch here. And that was the birth of Baywatch Hawaii. Oh, okay. So this is right before when he uh, turned the show into Baywatch Hawaii itself. That was final right before two when we turned it into Baywatch Hawaii. Wow, we, it... we moved the show permanently from L.A., we were going to Australia, but instead we ended up in Hawaii. So we were looking for different places. Where could we shoot to continue doing Baywatch in a different location to give us new stories, new cast members? It's like a, a fresh coat of paint. You want yeah. to boost up the show after you know eleven years on the air. You need something fresh and different. And that was the birth of Baywatch Hawaii. That's so cool. And they were giving us a, a two hundred thousand in cash per episode. So so it was basically $4 million a year coming from the government of Hawaii to bring Hawaii, to bring Baywatch there. Which is about like a third of what your episode cost was, I think you said, right? It's about six fifty right, exactly. or so, yeah. It was so basically cool. underwriting our, our costs. And we were doing promotion. We got the same deal with Hawaiian Airlines for the entire Baywatch Hawaii series. Uh, they were transporting everyone from LA to Hawaii uh, for free. We were getting the same deal with Turtle Bay. Everyone lived at Turtle Bay. So everything that we did in uh, Forbidden Paradise, uh, Forbidden Paradise, was used as the underlying basis of how we were able to afford to do Baywatch Hawaii for two years, forty-four episodes. Uh, by the way, uh, just as I'm thinking as a what if, if you had Baywatch down under, I wonder what that would be like. Because we mentioned this to Michael, we have noticed a pattern um, <laughs> with Baywatch that a lot of Australians are often villainous. <laughs> so uh, Australians Australian are often villains, kind of villainous in the show. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> so oh, I wonder if it would, it would have been a lot more villains on the show. I guess in a sense, if, I, I uh, think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Baywatch had so had had so many different lives. You know, yes. it's a little show that could. Uh, Baywatch was always underestimated. Uh, nobody ever really believed that you could do a lifeguarding show because I remember a uh, Brandon Tartikoff, who was the president of NBC, who bought Baywatch originally didn't think you could sustain a lifeguarding series because how many times can a lifeguard run into the ocean and save somebody and bring them up on shore and do CPR and, mm -hmm. and go off? And it's so repetitive. And I, my answer was, well, every cop show is repetitive. You're arresting people and having sure. car, yeah. car chases in every episode. We have rescues. But it's not what the show's about. You know, the you know, fire shows and police shows and all these shows, uh, medical shows, all have patterns where the, your repetition is is the basis of a series. It's a franchise. Lifeguarding, just because there's never been a lifeguarding show, doesn't mean we're not a franchise and a procedural show as well. Yeah. And we get involved with people, not just be, and when they rescue them from the ocean and they bring them onto shore and they do the CPR, but that person may have been trying to commit suicide. Why? And they get involved with his life to try to help him in real life. Right. Those are the kind of stories that we would tell. The the victim that would go and jump off a pier. Why did they jump off a pier? Um, that's what Baywatch was about. So they didn't understand the show from that point of view because they only understood cop shows. They only stood, understood murder on the beach. 
where a body would wash up. So the shows in season one on Baywatch were uh, a lot of cop shows. Uh, cops on the beach were lifeguards were turned into cops on the beach. Right. A body floats up. How did, how was that person killed? Are they responsible? That's yeah. a cop show and they're investigating a murder, that kind of thing. And that's not what lifeguards do. Right. Oh, yeah. there's like a serial killer on uh, the beach right. or something. I remember those were some mysteries. By the way, Brandon, I, I think it's like a year or two after Baywatch, then greenlit Seinfeld, which is a show about nothing. So right. you should have known. <laughs> but he also, I, he did also say that his biggest regret was letting Baywatch go, right? True. Yeah, yeah. Well, only, only that you see pictures on the wall behind me. Yeah. In, in this office around me that you can't see are all these posters and pictures. Uh, it's kind of a you know Baywatch uh, museum. One of the pictures I have on the wall, I don't want to look for it now because I, I, with my blindness, I can't find it that quickly, is a, a poster. Uh, so when Baywatch hit 100 episodes, so we did 22 on NBC. We bought the rights, Michael Gregg and I bought the rights back for $10. Right, yeah. It was a canceled show. So we wrote a check for $10, gave it to uh, the people at NBC and bought back our rights because the show was canceled. They had no use for it. And it took us a year to get the financing together and take it to syndication. When we hit 100 episodes, uh, the Hollywood Reporter, which is a trade publication that you guys know, yeah. uh, takes out an ad to salute any series that gets to 100 episodes because it's a miracle. And, and so so there are ads in the, in the Hollywood Reporter saluting Baywatch. Congratulations, Baywatch, from so-and-so. Congratulations, Baywatch, for your first 100 episodes. There was an ad that said, oops, exclamation point, with the NBC peacock underneath <laughs> it saying, who knew, with a little bubble on it saying, who knew? Yeah. And, and it said, congratulations from NBC on your first 100 episodes. Don't forget who gave you your start. Uh, love and encouragement from Brandon Tartikoff and oh. NBC. <laughs> and, I thought, and that was the very first time that a network has publicly, publicly admitted that they canceled the show before its prime. Uh, and in fact, there are so many shows that get canceled after six episodes, 10 episodes, 13 episodes, 22 episodes. Um, and yet, and then they're off the air and that's the end of them. Right. But we believed in this show and it was just circumstance that gave us the ability to buy back our rights. I, I tell you a side story. Um, so I'm Doug Schwartz. My uncle is Sherwood Schwartz. And some of your listeners may know the name Sherwood Schwartz. It sounds familiar. He is the creator and executive producer showner of both Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch. And so he was a family member. And my dad was a top Hollywood uh, comedy writer, producer. He worked for everyone, Bob Hope, Jackie Gleason, Milton Berle, Red Scout, and Lucille Ball, Desi Arnaz, Sid Caesar. I, I can go on and on yeah, about all the uh, comedians that my dad worked for and Sherwood worked for. And so we were at a, a Seder dinner at my parents' house in the Hollywood Hills, and Michael and I, his cousins, were both there. And we had just been canceled by NBC. And Sherwood says, what's wrong, boys? He looks down in the dumps. And he said, well, we just got canceled by NBC. Well, you were doing so well. Your ratings were great. And NBC, you guys expected a, a second season. But wait a minute. This may be your lucky. This may be your luckiest day ever. Why is that? We just got canceled. Because if NBC is dropping the show and the studio that we were with at the time, which was called GTG Entertainment, Grand Tinker Gannett, were going out of business. 
who is going to then own the rights to Baywatch? Maybe you can go back and buy back your rights. Well, we can never afford to, to pay them back for the NBC season and all the deficits they already incurred for the first 22 episodes, like $9 million in extra money that GTG put into it. And Sherwood said, offer him anything. Just take get a one-year option. Get the rights back. Take a one-year option. And if you don't get it in syndication in a year, give them the rights back, and you've lost $10. But if you're successful, give them a royalty per episode. Pay them $10,000 per episode. So I went in with Michael, and we pitched you know, buying the rights back to Grant Tinker and Brandon Tartikoff, and we offered them $10 for the worldwide rights to Baywatch. And they kind of laughed, okay, kids, boys, okay, sure. You go and see if you can put it in syndication. You'll never be able to afford this big a show in syndication, which was like half the budget of the network budget. And so we said, thanks, but we gave them the $10. They gave us that deal, and we had a signed contract. Now we own Baywatch 100%. Now what do we do? So it took us a year to raise the money and get it in syndication, create our own studio, find the financing in Europe because of David Hasselhoff and his success in, in Germany. Uh, Beta Taurus, which was a big German distribution company, uh, wanted to do a second season in spite of NBC. And then uh, ITV Network in London, um, London Weekend Television. We were the number one show in England. They wanted a second season. And then Italy and Spain and all these countries wanted a second season. So we raised 830000 per episode times 22 with all these countries. And that's how we got Baywatch back together for that $10 investment. It became a billion-dollar business. And we're still doing it 35 years later. God bless Uncle Sherwood. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But we're still all in the family. Michael, Greg, myself, my wife, Debbie, and Uncle Sherwood. Ah, I love that. By the way, Gilligan's Island was definitely one of the shows I watched more than anything. The reruns when I was a kid. And we love the Gilligan's Island episode yes, of Baywatch. Uh, it's so much fun. It's We did a Gilligan's Island. That was the single most fun I've ever had directing anything. Oh, it was a blast to watch. Bob Denver and uh, Don Wells come yes. and use their roles as Gilligan and Marianne. And it was particularly uh, special to me because not only did my Uncle Shirley create the show and produce the show for three seasons he did 100 episodes of the series but um when i got out of high school in 1964 uh, he asked me if i wanted to be the dialogue coach on gilligan's island during the summer after i got out of high school and i said yeah i'd love to do that and so uh, he paid me to be the dialogue coach on gilligan's island and i became friends with bob denver and tina louise the movie star and don well marianne and uh, Jim Backus and Natalie Schaefer, Mr. Howell and Mrs. Howell and Rod, Russ Johnson, and of course, um, the skipper, um, Alan. And so I became so friendly because I was teaching them their dialogue every day. And I ended up working on the show for two years. So to have, so be, to be working on, Bay, on, on Gilligan's Island and in that jungle on stage two at CBS Radford or in the lagoon with, um, you know, shooting the lagoon, the Gilligan's mm -hmm. Island. Lagoon, and now getting them onto my set, and I'm the creator, writer, producer, director of Gilligan's Island, the parody, written by Sherwood's son, Lloyd Schwartz, again in the film. Mm -hmm. So Sherwood show, Lloyd Schwartz wrote the episode, uh, Michael Gregg and I producing it, I'm directing it, and with the real Bob Denver and the real 
um, the real Marianne. It was a wonderful experience and my favorite time directing an episode. Even though that's, that's awesome, the episode we're talking about, that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. We well, we love that episode, and I th- we said this when we uh, reviewed it on the podcast: is that you guys captured the feel of the original Gilligan's Island. It felt like watching an episode of Gilligan's Island. Well, because yeah, we had the original Greensman who built the sets on Gilligan's Island. Awesome. And I went back and we studied the show, and Lloyd and I, uh, my cousin Lloyd again, who wrote the episode, mm-hmm. it's my other first cousin. Um, and Michael and, and Lloyd and I would watch all Gilligan's Island episodes, and that's how we came up with the storyline, and which was a fantasy with Billy Warlock and his Eddie character. Right. But so we had the Greensman, who Lloyd said, yeah, I know that guy. I still know him. I have his phone number. And we called him up and asked him if he wanted to build the sets down in our soundstage to duplicate the green sets of Gilligan's Island, and he did. And then we had the laugh track guy, because he's looking around because they keep hearing laughter from <laughs> just like Gilligan's Island used to have. Yeah. So we got the guy that used to do the laugh track for the actual Gilligan's Island show come in and do the laugh track for our show. So it was really an amazing thing to have the the wardrobe people that did the wardrobe for Gilligan's Island, did the wardrobe for our show, and the set decorator was the set decorator on Gilligan's Island. All people that I worked with when I was dialogue coach. That is so cool. I'm, I'm also imagining the set decorator. He had all those the sets in his garage. And he was like a he week did. away from finally throwing it out. <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> but he's like, wait, no. Good thing I kept it. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he he had a collection of stuff that he kept from Gilligan's Island. Boards wow. uh, and other things that they used to have, the tables and the shelves and all that stuff they had. And the wardrobe girl had the same thing. Uh, she had the the uh, the uh, coconut shell bikini for Tina right. all the stuff that she kept when the show went down so you know it was a really fun special experience uh doing that with bob denver and he was one of our original financiers of michael and i when we were uh, doing short subjects when i was out of high school again 1964 i was uh 18 19 years old and michael and i wanted to do this movie called scuff about a day in the life of a pair of shoes and Bob Denver said, how much money do you need to do the movie? And I said, $20,000. He said, well, I'll give you that. And wow. he wrote a check for $20,000. Gilligan, he was financing our movie. And he became the executive producer and our partner on that on that movie, which we actually made with the $20,000 that he gave us to make that movie. That was made in 1965. That's so cool. So we were very close, Bob Denver and I. Great guys. That's he cool. was actually a PhD, had a doctorate. And oh, did he? Okay. Oh, well, as a you know, dumb idiot. But he was actually a really smart guy. Really nice guy, really smart guy. That's so cool. Yeah, he's great. In that uh, episode. We, we covered uh, Forbidden Paradise pretty well. <laughs> Got yeah, well, we, yeah I was just going to, yeah. I, I was going back to the Gilligan's Island episode for a second. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, just like um, uh, Monty Markham and um, and yeah. Greg Allen Williams, like playing yes. uh, the mill, uh, you know, and the professor. Uh, Thurston Howell and uh, or the- it was Thurston Howell and the right. skipper. Yeah, the, sorry, and, my yeah, yes. Yeah. And uh, and they both did such an incredible job. I was kind of hoping we'd get a we'd get a Monty Markham appearance this episode once they brought oh, up right. Captain Thorpe. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he did such he did such a great uh, Mr. Howell and Liniac yeah. um, did such a great uh, Tina Louise um uh, uh ginger yeah and, uh, and i loved uh greg allen williams as the skipper oh uh, the yeah he nailed skipper. it and yeah. uh, it was such a fun sh- show to do as even the stock shots <clears throat> it, there was a storm at sea 
which is the reason that they, you know, the three day cruise. Three hour to, yeah. Um, which my uncle Sherwood wrote that song and wrote the Brady Bunch theme song as well. Oh, wow. And um, he made more money from the writing of the Gilligan's Island theme song, the Gilligan's Island, the Brady Bunch, I mean, the um, uh, theme song of the Brady Bunch, than writing and producing the series. Oh, wow. He made more money <laughs> writing those two songs. Wow. Next time, Michael and I will remember that and write our own Baywatch song. <laughs> Seriously. <Yes. laughs> For the new series, yeah. yeah. We made a lot of money in our Baywatch song, a million dollars <laughs> over all these years, and still going strong because we never changed the theme song. But anyway, um, so yeah, that it was it was very nostalgic and, and really something that I'll always remember that experience of doing that episode. It was very special for me. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. This is a great episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Zach, did you have anything else that you would like oh, to? Oh, uh, you know, I just just random notes on this episode of, uh, you know, uh, for Forbidden Paradise. I, I did realize at some point I was like, you know what? I think Matt himself might have taken a lava rock. Because he seems to have really bad, he has luck, bad, in really bad luck in this episode. So I know, I know that it's not addressed, but I feel like he has to return a rock as well too. Because um, yes. he gets, oh. he gets almost, he gets stung by a, a scorpion fish, almost right. gets stung by a uh, centipede, and then falls, and then the falls down several times. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I actually, I, so the falling off the cliff thing, I actually was like, was that's pretty awesome. convenient because they were trying to get down from there. And they were like trying to go down slowly. And then when Matt fainted and fell off and Mitch had to True. dive down, I was like, that got him to the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> what that was going on that I didn't know at the time was uh, there was an actual relationship behind the scenes between Pamela Anderson and David Charvet, who uh, played yeah. Matt. And they were having a relationship and they were in Hawaii together. And David didn't know that she had met Tommy Lee Ooh. and was on her way to Mexico to marry to him. To marry him. Wow. Yeah. And she didn't know. And he, excuse me, he didn't know that that was going on. So that was a big thing. And that's one of the reasons that I think David Charvet didn't return to the show. Oh. He left okay. the show and went back to France. Oh, just wow. like on his character on the show, actually. Yeah. Exactly. He did in real life. Oh, so wow. To a singing career. And I think, you know, that must have had something to do with the Tommy Lee thing, uh, because it was right after that. Because that okay. was his last episode. Wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And he, and he didn't know when he was filming it that it was his last episode. And we didn't fire him. And so he quit, because I remember him coming to me and saying that he wanted to go back to France and focus on his singing career. And would I let him out of his contract? So Michael and I talked about it, and we agreed to let him out. And then he left the series. Pamela stayed, but he left. And then Tommy Lee became a fixture on our set. Um, and I won't go into the rest of it. Um, yeah. But then he, Tommy Lee was very jealous of her relationship with, on camera, David Chokichi. Because right, on right. camera, they, um, uh, David Chokichi played Cody. And they had a relationship as the characters of CJ and Cody. And yeah. Tommy Lee... I would be directing and I'd hear all this bang. I'd be doing a, a love scene between Cody and CJ, Pamela and Matt. And I'd hear all this commotion in the parking lot, crash, bang, and all this stuff, cut, cut, cut. What's going on? Security is in there. Tommy Lee is destroying Pam's dressing room. Oh, and no. he's breaking the mirror and smashing the furniture. We had to get security to escort him off the set because he was so jealous of her kissing David Charvet, uh, David uh, Chokichi. Uh, just as part of the scene, not because there was anything going on between the two of them, but uh, that's the kind of thing that was happening after David Charvet left to go to France. 
which was right after Forbidden Paradise. Wow. Yeah. See what you learned by all these things on this podcast? I know. If <laughs> you never knew about Baywatch before, you'll know now. You're exposing <laughs> secrets. Absolutely. Um, I also really loved the uh, the surf montage. Uh, oh yeah, at the end, cool. it, it it very much. Uh, my dad was a surfer when I was young, and he uh, subscribed to Surfer magazine and would get I did surfer, too. yeah, surfer DVDs and things like that. And and this reminded me of the the really high quality footage that would come on those DVDs, just yeah. like gorgeous shots of uh, of that North Shore. Yeah, was uh, that sorry. pipeline itself uh, that yeah, you guys that were shooting? Yeah, pipeline in Waimea, yeah. uh, which is the pipeline, uh, and even Turtle Bay had uh, 20-foot surf. It was That's where everyone comes to the North Shore to surf. That's where Michael and I shot our movie Soul Surfer. Um, oh, yeah. The, the movie Soul Surfer was about a young girl, 16 years old, Bethany Hamilton, mm-hmm. who was on her way to winning or competing in the World Championships and she was practicing surfing on big waves off of the coast of Kauai with a friend of hers and her friend's father. She and lost her arm, right? Had a shark, a 12-foot tiger shark, tiger shark purged yeah. out of the water and bit her arm off at the shoulder and just <laughs> swallowed her whole arm. And her arm was gone, blood was spurting out in the ocean, and it was just a stump. And her, her friend screamed, and her father saw what was going on, and swam to Bethany. And meanwhile, the shark is in the water, agitated with the blood in the water. It's a true story. And goes and grabs Bethany, ties the surf cord around her arm as a tourniquet, and swims her in with her friend while she's bleeding and being followed by the shark to shore to try to get to a hospital on the other side of the island of Kauai because they were in the jungle with her surfing to save her life. And the movie Soul Surfer was the story of her comeback. From that experience, uh, David, um, I mean, uh, Dennis Quaid played her father, Helen Hunt played the mother, Anna Sophia Robb played Bethany Hamilton. But Michael and I, uh, is the point, along with my wife, Debbie, wrote that movie, and we produced it together, and uh, we shot it in Hawaii, and we did it at Turtle Bay on the North Shore. So, you know, once again, we were back there. Uh, But we've always been big about surfing and surfers, um, we had one of the the best surfers in the world yeah. on our show as one of our cast members, um, which was uh, uh, Kelly Slater. 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 Yeah, Kelly Slater. Slater. And he was on the show for three years, uh, played Slade, and he was a yeah. top surfer character in the show. And because he connected to the surfing community, uh, Michael and I really wanted him to be in, in the show. Mm-hmm. And he was reluctant to do that and surf because he was world champion. He was the number one surfer. Yeah. Why does he need to do a television show? Well, he'll promote your career and you can do whatever you want with promotional things and other things that can't hurt, can only help you. So in fact, he signed on board and uh, uh, he again had a relationship with Pamela Anderson during the time that we were on uh, filming. But um, uh, he left the show because his friends, the other surfers, would razz him about being on Baywatch. Oh, Mr. Hollywood. Oh, here comes Mr. Hollywood. <laughs> and so couldn't, he had to choose between the two. He couldn't do both. And he chose surfing. And once again, here comes the actor asking Michael and I to be out of their contract early so they could pursue, uh, uh, pursue their, a different career. Right. Uh, David Chervé wanted to pursue singing in France, and he wanted to pursue surfing and then continued to be the number one surfer for 10 years. 
Yeah. And, and still is highly competitive. Still highly competitive. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, yeah, surfing was always big, so thanks for complimenting the surfing footage. Uh, we have some of the best surf cameramen in the world uh, shooting that stuff. That was all of our second unit. I claim no credit. Um, but those guys are amazing. And that's why we always had a full-time second unit. We shot more sunsets than any other company ever shot. Because every single day at sunset, wherever we were, <clears throat> we'd turn our cameras around and shoot the sunset. Mm -hmm. And then go on with whatever scene we were doing. And then we banked those every day that we were shooting on the beach. Hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of sunsets. And uh, so we had the largest stock of sunsets uh, of any company on Earth, uh, not realizing how long we'd be shooting Baywatch. We're still shooting Baywatch and still filming sunsets. You could be like the Getty Images of uh, sunsets. You could just have like, yeah. a database that people could yeah, rent out. Yeah, of just sunsets. So yeah, that. yeah. You could just I like uh, just like uh, your uncle Sherwood. You you guys could make more money from stock footage of sunsets <laughs> than you make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But we're wow. looking forward to the new uh, reboot. Uh, watch on the Fox Network. Uh, yes, all of '94 will be the new Baywatch, starting from scratch. New cast, new characters, new everything, uh, and it's really like starting over again. And um, I'm excited about it because you rarely get an opportunity to like that to continue working with your family members. Like we are still working together on the new show, just like we did in all the other shows and all the other things that we've done that have spun off from Baywatch, Baywatch Nights, Baywatch Hawaii, the Baywatch reunion movie on the Fox Network. Uh, we also uh, produced Baywatch, the movie with Dwayne Johnson and Zac Efron at Paramount Pictures. So that's when I say we've been doing Baywatch for 35 years. It's all those different aspects and recreating Baywatch in different forms. And now here we are doing it again for the fall of 94 on, uh, I mean, of uh, 24 on Fox Network. So cool. So excited for well, that. it's great to meet you guys, Charlie and Zach. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, to... Doug, thank you so much. Uh, great to talk to you too, Doug. Yeah, thank you so much. Watch yeah, Baywatch. Really it. Yeah. Yes, watch Baywatch. <laughs> and we're, uh, yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. We appreciate it, and we hope to get to talk to you again soon. Yes. Okay, me too. Take care. Thanks. All right, take care. Thanks for listening to our conversation with uh, Baywatch co-creator Doug Schwartz. Uh, Doug had to take off, but Zach and I are going to do a couple of awards for you at the end of the episode. Uh, so we're going to start with our Hofsker for Forbidden Paradise Parts 1 and 2. Yeah, a uh, um, lot of fun uh, characters in this one. I'm going to go with uh, Leah. Uh, or was it Leah? God, you know Leia, now? Yeah. It's Leah. Yeah, that's what it was. I remember it spelled L-E-A. I just can't remember yeah. the pronunciation. But uh, yeah, Leah. Uh, I thought she did a great job in that role. Uh, nice. Uh, I'm going to go with Mark, who was the uh, the Hawaiian lifeguard that uh, that Stephanie has the uh, the romantic relationship with. Yeah, he was fantastic. I also just thought uh, the the Wave Runner stuff was pretty badass. I thought it was pretty cool. You know, I just realized when you said Mark, I think it's in part one early on. Uh, Stephanie says she would love to become a lifeguard in Hawaii someday. And um, everyone's like, oh, because Riley goes by there a lot, which is her old fling from right. other seasons. And I'm like, I think she's done with Riley Mark. at this point. This yeah. Mark, <laughs> she yeah. wants to hang out with Mark instead. Yeah, it actually was, uh, I think, plot-wise, even though we know, you know, Doug told us why uh, Pamela Anderson wasn't really in this episode, it felt like there was no way 
Stephanie was going to go home. Like she, no oh, matter yeah. what, like even I bet she would have rigged she that coin toss. Yeah, yes, that coin absolutely. She would have flipped I'm sorry. That's not. <laughs> yeah. Cause she, absolutely. she was, she was quite happy when it was not her that had to go back. Yeah. Um, totally. so yeah, it was the right she, choice. Yeah. She was definitely smitten. And yeah. Did you, did you catch that moment? I just now remembered it when they make, when Mark and Stephanie make the rescue of, um, Carlton. Carlton. When they pull up in their wave runners, they're holding hands at first while they find yeah. out what happened. Now, I think it's probably just protocol to like stay together in that moment. But I was like, what a romantic moment. this! It is. also would be very yeah. sweet if they were just a separate wave runners riding through the ocean, holding hands, just, <laughs> just perfectly the whole keeping way holding up with hands. each other. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Very sweet. Uh, very sweet. And then uh, do you want to do best montage? Yeah. Uh, so um, we had several to well, pick from. Lot, yeah. We what had were the ones in part one? Okay, yeah. The ones in part one were the opening uh, CJ managing the beach montage. Yeah, getting one. Um, yeah, and then we had the uh, Hawaii montage of them landing in Hawaii oh, yeah. with uh, nice. with the convertibles, their flowers, their aerial shots, Turtle Bay Resort. Um, yeah, and then uh, we also get. Yeah, what is the third one in that of some trip? Oh, here it is. It's uh oh, it's Mitch and uh, Matt snorkeling. Mitch and Matt snorkeling. Yep. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Snorkel montage, and then um the Hawaiian tropics montage mm -hmm. with Logan. Yeah, and I think that's the, it, right? Oh, well, the surfing one at the end. The surfing montage. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm so five torn to between... choose from. I'm torn between two. You know, I'll just give it to Co. I'm going to go with the part four and five. The photo shoot uh, with Logan and the um, Hawaiian Tropics models and the surfing montage. But they're all pretty fun, I think. Yeah, they're all pretty good. Um, I think I'm going to go. I, I I like the Hawaiian Tropics one. I think I'm going to go Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, first get intro. There. Yes. Yeah. And then the surfing. Um, because I like, you know, um, Hawaii is just unbelievably beautiful place it is it's just gorgeous to see that the especially oahu is like so green um and yeah. uh yeah that was that was really cool um i did like the hawaiian tropics uh one though especially <laughs> because uh caroline who i think could easily be a hawaiian tropics girl of is course. standing right off to the side I, she's and so puffing close. the entire time <laughs> there is she it is it, it is, is these girls and logan the photographer and caroline are the and only caroline's, people on the beach <laughs> caroline's like 15 away from everyone it's just yeah. like so funny like that she's just staring there with daggers in her eyes towards everyone yeah by the way it, it is fun i just remembered a uh, nice montage um, we didn't know I was, I mean, I'm sorry. I didn't know we were going to get a montage, but when we first met the Hawaiian tropics girls, I appreciated the fact that when they all ran over the camera panned and everyone got their moment on camera. And I, I always liked the, you know, like, so someone that doesn't yes. have a line basically, but I'm like, you know what? They showed up for set that day and everyone like had a moment where like their face was on camera. Sure. Uh, I always love those moments. And, uh, but then everyone was in the montage anyway, yeah. so they, they were on it a lot. I also okay. liked the ending of the montage after Caroline has kind of blown up. I guess it's yes. not the end of the montage, but it's after the blow up when he returns to the photo shoot and is pouting <laughs> while all these women are standing around. Yeah, and it, the photographer's like, that's the one, that's the winner. That's the <laughs> yeah. one, yeah, and his uh, eyes are all red because yes. he's upset. And it's, like <laughs> and it's like, Logan, pouty Logan, surfer of the year. Sad man, sad <laughs> man is the international surfer of the year with 25 <laughs> Hawaiian drop it girls around him. You know, what? I forgot to ask Doug, did, what, do we know, did Logan compete ultimately or did he pull out? Because he pulled of out. 
he did pull out. out. That's, does he yeah, say that? Did so I miss that line? He does. He says, "Okay, that I, my, he, that's my bad. Yeah, he does. He tells her that um, he realized that there's nowhere he'd rather be than with her. I see. Yeah, and that's where the proposal comes from. So, do you do you think he would have won if he got in that competition? I mean, I don't know. They they were talking him up pretty big. It seemed yeah. like he was he was quite good. And did um, the Hawaiian Tropics calendar? Did they lose their mind when they? found out that i know that he didn't compete because then yeah. they, they were they like we just did that whole photo, oh, photo shoot. right we got the perfect shot um <laughs> <laughs> married a man of the year who sometimes or engaged man of the year who sometimes surfs for fun and right so he's, they still use him yeah <laughs> i did see like the very next uh episode description it's like Caroline finds out Logan's cheating on her. Oh, uh, the, the one after this <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, it's either the next one or the one this, after. This one's so funny, much earlier, um, but it is funny. By chance, but yeah. it's like the very next one is like Caroline finds out Logan's uh, cheating on now, her. Now, I don't remember what their first relationship thing is, like whatever that was of the season, episode one, two, or three, whatever. But I feel like even then it was already Logan was whether either cheating on her or yeah, not being so a good he was, he, there was In one sense, he was using that one girl to get shirt deals. Yeah, uh, her father owned a factory, and then there was uh, something with him giving rings to people. Yeah. Oh, yes, and the saying necklace it was thing. his grandmother's it, ring or something. Yeah. Um. Yes, it's uh, or that it was given to, to him by a by a uh, tribesman. A, something like that. A, a yeah. spirit, like a a leader of some sort that gave it to him after you rescued him in quicksand. And then he would give it to a woman and be like, I'm giving this to you because you're like my soulmate or whatever. You're yes. like the one. But, but he had we like find out tons a bunch of them. of them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So and he was engaged so to Caroline. Wow. And that is the moment in which she, I believe, that's the episode in which she returns the engagement ring. <laughs> she, she's like, I put up with the first um, eight <laughs> necklaces you gave away, but this ninth one. No, yeah, exactly. I'm done. So. Um, but it was interesting to see the engagement happen here. I was like, oh, that's why they keep talking about an engagement. Yeah. It is uh, funny, too. Um. Where was where, where he says, will you marry me? Where do you think that was in relation to them? Because it's possible she could have walked up and seen it. like I've seen it already, right? <laughs> She's <Yeah>. like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully, I guess the angle is okay that she didn't notice it. But yeah. Yeah. Or, or just like, yeah, I love TV magic where people are only aware of things that are in frame. Like if right, the audience right. can't, if the audience can't see it, it we don't. Exist. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, I'm going to give this episode a six same very yeah because uh and we were we were so pleased to have uh doug join us uh yes yeah i love hearing the stories and like the more more and more i hear about um the production of baywatch the more amazing it is um because truly there's nothing really, like it in history and uh I, these you know, three guys <laughs> yeah this show. <laughs> now i know we've talked about this we talked about this with michael and whatnot but just yeah. hearing doug again say that like well we're the producers and so usually there's a studio and you can go to them about, you know, right. monetary issues or all this stuff. And it's like, no, we just had to figure it out ourselves. And it's like, that is pretty amazing for how big this show was. And right. Yeah. It's phenomenal. It truly is. Yeah. And they shot it on film and they like, like they only cut in places where they knew they could without it compromising the production value of the show. Yes. Um, it, it's you know what it's kind of like uh, an indie film in a sense, but a bunch of them, you know, it's a bunch of episodes. But you know, like right. when someone like makes an indie film and it's like, okay, we have a very small budget, whatever it is, like a million dollars or something like that, and then they just have to be kind of creative in a lot of ways of how to like figure out how to get it done, but not but to make it one that's like really good. I'm saying yeah. not like a total crap indie film, 
um, it, it feels like that in a sense, but they're doing that week to week with a TV show because, as he said, they don't have a studio behind them. Um, yeah, that'll yeah, that'll just fund everything basically. So yeah, it's a fantastic story. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, thanks again for listening to our thank conversation. Thank you so much, with, and thank uh, you, Doug. Yeah, Doug Schwartz. Thanks so much, Doug, for being here, and uh, we will be back next week with an all new episode of Baywatch Watch. And until then, stay, stay wet. wet. Thanks for listening to Baywatch Watch. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. If you're just joining us, please subscribe to Baywatch Watch on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a review on the Apple Music Store. It really helps us out. Thanks, and until next time, stay wet.